If you have a Bible nearby, let's turn together to the book of Ruth. It's been a while since we spent some time in the Old Testament. And so for the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to cover this whole book. And it's only four chapters, so shouldn't be a problem. We'll start just right at the beginning. We're going to read the whole first chapter. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were Ephrathites from, the Bethlehem, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab. Sorry. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay? So that really just kind of sets the stage for the rest of the book. All right? So there's a famine in Bethlehem. There's a family. They decide to, to travel a great distance away to try and find food. Uh, and so they're going into a completely different territory with, uh, where people who were enemies of the Israelites lived and, and such. Uh, but, you know, when there's no food, you gotta, you got to look out for your family. And so they, they take off, and they get to Moab. The two sons marry local women, and then the dad dies, and then the two sons die. So at this point in the story, they're living, um, you have Naomi who's living in a, a foreign land with her two uh, daughters-in-law uh, who are locals. And none of them have husbands because they've all passed away. And, and so that sort of sets the stage at this point. All right. Um, so in verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Okay? That basically means that uh, she heard that, that it had rained back home in Bethlehem. Uh, that's... Their, their custom was, was pretty much any time it rained, they saw that as a direct like, blessing from God that he was watering their crops. So she got word that God had visited their people, meaning that he had brought rain and that there was now food back home. And so she, without her husband and without her sons, she was taking off to go back, uh, back west to Bethlehem. Verse 7, So she set out from the place where she was, where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to, to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, um, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Okay, stop, stop right there. Um, you, there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of of Jewish custom that you, you have to kind of understand. What would normally happen is uh, if if your sons passed away, then uh, the daughter-in-law would just marry another son, would remain in the family in that sense. And so what she's trying to tell them is, look, my two daughter, my two sons are, are passed away. Um, I am too old to have more kids. Even if I were to get married tonight and have like a baby in nine months, then uh, you'd still have to wait till they were of age and all that kind of stuff. So she's trying to send send her her two daughters in law back home, uh, go back to your families, marry somebody else, so that your future will be secure. Um, and so she's really kind of freeing them from their obligation to try and, and remain in the family according to the way like everything kind of worked. And, and so, of course, they're resistant at first. And then um, after you know, a little bit of, of coercion and stuff, uh, Orpah says, okay, I'm going to stay here with my people and that kind of stuff. But um, Ruth, it says that she clung to her. So Orpah, when it says Orpah kissed her in that last verse, that's basically like a farewell kiss. Um, but Ruth is clinging to Naomi. And, th- and this, this next stretch of the passage is what I want us to, to look at tonight and kind of zero in on. Uh, verse 15. This is, Ruth to, I mean, this is Naomi talking. She says, uh, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Which makes sense, because after that declaration, what else are you going to say? Um, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, 
And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. All right? So obviously Naomi is, um, is very hurt, very wounded by what is, has happened. Um, to be able to say, don't even call me by my other name. Um, you should call me by a name that connects with bitterness. That I left full, the Lord has brought me back empty. She's obviously processing a lot of, of grief and hurt. And, uh, but there's Ruth with her. She didn't return completely empty. She returned with a daughter-in-law who has, has pledged that kind of commitment and love to her. And so um, I want us to look at that, at that commitment that, uh, that Ruth makes to Naomi. Because I, th- I, feel like, I feel like that kind of devotion is, is a part of the Christian life in, in maybe ways that we don't always um, like connect to. Um, as a as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you you pretty much have are operating under two major commitments in your life as a believer, um, and those commitments fall under the, the the two great commandments. Right? You have committed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, that is a commitment that you have made to Him as your Savior as your Lord, in response to what you believe He has done. When you placed your faith in Jesus, you made a commitment to Him. A commitment that, that puts Him above everything else. Uh, it echoes what Jesus tells us in, in Luke 14, where our devotion to Him, our commitment to Him, is to come above our commitment to uh, your spouse, to your parents, to your siblings, to your children, um, to your neighbors, to your job, to your money, to anything, and even, even your commitment to your own pleasure and happiness, that your devotion, your love for, for the Lord as your Savior is, uh, is to, to just reign over all those other things. That there should be really no, no comparison. And so that is a commitment that you have made when you became a Christian and he crossed you over from death to life. That's a part of what happened. And so, so from that first commitment that you made, which is a lofty one for sure, from that flows, that flows the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you have, uh, by committing to Jesus, you've also committed to what Jesus values and finds important, which are people. And so uh, to break that down a little bit further, uh, there are some, some very specific commitments there's some specific people in your life that you have committed to that flows naturally out of your commitment to Jesus. For some of you, it is, it is a spouse that you have married and you went through some sort of, of wedding ceremony type deal and you made vows that sound a lot like what, what Ruth has said to Naomi. You know? But you have, you have made those promises to them. Uh, some of you have children and you, whether you formally did it or not, you have made commitments to those kids to provide for them and to love them and to be responsible for every necessity uh, until they should grow up and be able to be on their own. Um, you have commitments to your family that you have made, uh, to your parents, to your siblings, uh, to your in-laws, you know, that kind of stuff. You have commitments that you've made um, to your neighbors and to your coworkers and to your friends and those closest to you, the ones who walk with you. And so, so out of that commitment to the Lord, there have, has been this, this commitment to some very speci- a very specific group of people in your life. And maybe all those commitments look a little bit different, but you've committed certain things. You've vowed to them that you would, uh, that you would have a certain kind of relationship with each of those different kinds of people. 
Um, also flowing out of that commitment to Jesus, there's a, you've made a commitment to, to certain kinds of people. Um, so these are, are kind of general things. If you, if you take Matthew 25, uh, you've basically committed to care for those that Jesus cares for, which um, I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. Uh, so the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those without clothing, those who are sick, those who are imprisoned. Uh, you've, there are certain kinds of people that you've made a commitment to. And so battling injustice against those kinds of people, you know, the widow, the orphan, uh, the estranged from the Lord, those who are, who are bound up in sin or in addiction, those who are, are hurting, those who are in need of redemption, those who don't know Jesus, those who have, have kind of walked away from the faith, those who have been hurt by family, hurt by the church, uh, hurt by anyone, those who have no community, they're completely isolated. Uh, you, you have committed to those kinds of people by committing to Jesus because uh, that commitment to him means that our commitment extends to all that he cares for as well. So there are specific commitments that each of us have made, but then there are general commitments to love like people that we come across who are in need or who are hurting or whatever. Um, and then there's a, there's a whole another category of commitments that we've made, which is we've, we've committed to the bride of Jesus. To love him is to love his church. And so we have made certain commitments within our church family to one another to live a certain way, to handle issues in a certain way, that we can count on each other for certain things, that, that everything we walk through, like you're never going to walk alone through that stuff, whether that means you join somebody or whether that means you voice your own needs, that there are commitments that we have made to one another as a church family. We had a membership class the other night, and every time we go through that covenant, I'm just reminded of, of the seriousness, I mean, like, and the, and the joy at the same time of, of the promises that we've made to each other, that this is the kind of, of community we're going to kind of be. And beyond that, though, there's, this, there's the universal church, that the, you've committed to Christians in Pakistan and in uh, Uganda and in parts of South America and our friends in Mexico and our friends in India and anywhere you go on the planet, that you, you've made commitments to them as well. And so... After you, know, you start listing all these things, and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm a committed person. That's a lot, that's a lot of people that, that we're committed to. And all of our individual commitments flow from our commitment to Jesus. So when you commit to him, you basically commit to the whole world. In specific ways and in general ways. And so you, you see a pledge like this, like Ruth makes... To Naomi, you're like, how in the world? How in the world does that does that work? And probably, if you if if you were to to list all the things I just ran through really quickly, and you were to talk, look at your commitment to Jesus, and then your commitment to people, the specific ones, the general ones, the church, and you were to just like diagram all that stuff out, you could probably find some commitments in that whole whatever, that are falling short of what they should be. And maybe it starts right at the top. I mean, maybe it starts right with, with your commitment and your devotion to Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's to your spouse, or maybe it's to your kids, or to your friends, or to the hurting. Um, maybe it's to the church. But somewhere in there, there's probably you're probably looking at that saying, yeah, I'm I know by committing to Jesus, I've said certain things, but in 
the reality within which my life kind of plays out shows that I'm not, I'm not fully committed. And it's, it's okay, because we need, we need to have those kinds of moments where we're like just kind of honest and saying, like, all right, I know I say I have a heart for, um, for the poor, but, but I never do anything about it, you know. We need to have those moments of, of honesty, you know. We need to have that, those moments of honesty where you say, I, I know I've committed to disciple my kids, but, but I'm, I'm just not doing that, you know. I know I've made commitments to certain aspects of life within the church, but I just, I'm just not there. And all that stuff really flows from the fact that we've told Jesus, I will, I will love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. And yet we try and do that apart from the word and, and prayer and abiding and disciplines and pursuing holiness and all that. And so for a few minutes I want to look at the story of Ruth and see if maybe there's some insight there that can help us pinpoint within those commitments that are just maybe kind of coming up short. Maybe, maybe the Lord can kind of use, use some of these things to show us like, hey, this, this is kind of what it is for you. This is kind of where, where the wheels are coming off. Because nobody, none of us want to be like halfway committed, right? Like nobody, nobody thinks of your marriage as being like, yeah, I kind of want to like, like mean my vows like 78, 79, 80% of what I'm saying. Nobody does that, you know? Nobody wants to be half in, half out when it comes to their commitment to, to things. We all want to, we want to be, like James said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Like we want to live that way. We want to, be reliable and consistent, and we, we want to know Jesus. We want to know Him, like really know Him, and we want to love people and care for people. We want that. And sometimes it just comes down to the fact of saying, you know, I've I've made some commitments, and I'm just not really following through with them. And you let the Lord show you how to bring forward in this. And so, before we go on, let me just let me a word of caution. This is about our own personal commitments, and not the commitments of other people. And so don't try not to you know sit there and be like, yeah, if everybody else is just committed like I am, you know, let's try and maybe maybe avoid that. Uh, this is this is should be introspective and not our chance to like evaluate everybody in the community. Um, look at okay, so look at uh, look at verse four. A couple of things really quickly. Here, are, I know like every decent sermon has three points, so I brought out three. You could probably bring out way more than that. Um, but here are three things that, that I think are essential with, with like a true commitment. Like the kind of commitment that we see Ruth making to Naomi here. The, like a, the real deal. Okay, the first one, uh, there's going to there's gonna be a tremendous amount of value. All right? We're talking about relational commitments to each other. There'll be a tremendous amount of value in what you commit to. Verse 4 says that, uh, that they took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah. The other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Okay? So 10 years of living uh, in this family. All right? So Ruth has known Naomi for 10 years. It's different than it is for us today. You may not, you may not live very close to your in-laws. You may, not have to, you may not talk to them very much or spend a lot of time with them or whatever. In, in their day, though, the family, they, like they lived, they lived like all together, and they worked all together, and they were involved in, you know, in the same trades, and they made sure everybody had food, and they just spent 
like all of their time together. It was, they, it was just a different kind of family community than we, we experience today, uh, especially in America. And so, for, so they had 10 years of basically sharing every meal, most moments of every day, uh, with their in-laws. And so there's a, there's a bond that forms there. And so when Ruth makes that kind of pledge to her mother-in-law, it's not based on like, well, I guess, I mean, who else is going to take care of her? You know, uh, She had 10 years of, of relational connection there. Within that 10 years, there, there had to be just a tremendous amount of value that formed between them. Uh, if you look in verse 14... It says, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth, Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. That word clung is the same word that's used uh, in Genesis and in Ephesians, when it says uh, a man le- will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It means uh, hold fast, to cling, to, uh, to join together. Um, it's not saying that they got married because uh, the third part of that deal by the two becoming one flesh, that's just for marriage. But the clinging to each other, the holding fast to one another, that drawing near, that emotional connection of I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going to let go of you, that happens, happens between us. And that doesn't happen if, if you don't value the person that you're committing to or the thing that you're committing to. Or, you know, so if it's your family, or if it's the church, or if it's Jesus himself, if there's not value there, you're not clinging, you're not holding fast. Uh, there was a connection that was there. If you look in verse 11, um, it says, But Naomi said, Turn back my daughters. My daughters. She called them her daughters, not her daughters-in-law. She's not treating them like, like, you just kind of married into my family and just kind of in a legal sense, you're one of us, whatever. She calls them her daughters. So you, you, you press some of those things together, and the reason why Ruth is making that kind of commitment to Naomi is because she is important to her. There's worth there. There's value. There's, there's no guilt. There's no obligation. She just truly values her. And so our commitments uh, are like the value, the things that we value, we will commit ourselves to. So if you look at, if we look at how we spend our time and we look at how we spend our money, those are two big indications of, of the things that we value the most. And in most cases, those are the things we're the most committed to. So you value Jesus, you spend time with Jesus. Your money goes into Jesus-like things, you know. You value your spouse, you spend time with your spouse. And you spend money making sure that your spouse has what they need. Same with your kids, same with your friends, same within the church. There's a value that's there. And so sometimes when we have commitment issues, it's because we really don't value those that we're committed to in the way that we think that we do. Um... Look at, the, look at the next thing. So the first one was value. The second one, with true commitment, you must be selfless. You absolutely must be selfless. Look at verse 8. 
But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. See, Ruth could have done what was best for her. She could have gone back into, uh, she could have remained in, in her native land with her people, her gods, her family. She had a shot at marrying somebody else. And that day, that day was di- different than it is now. Uh, like you, you got married because that was, the, that was the only way to guarantee that you were provided for. And we'll get into this more in the next couple of weeks as we continue to the story of Ruth. And, and that's a big, big part of it is, is just the, the traditions and customs of that day. But for her, what was in Ruth's best interest would be to, to, to stay put and to get married and to, find, and to just let Naomi go. Because really, she had no obligation to her anymore. She wasn't legally connected to her anymore. She could have just let her go. And so in those verses, Naomi's pleading with her. She's saying, no, you need to see it as I see it. Like, it's better for you to stay here, and you marry, and you go on about your way, and I'll be fine, I'll go back, like, don't, whatever. But Ruth put Naomi's needs ahead of her own. She didn't just do what was best for her. She did what was best for Naomi. And I think that we cannot lose sight of the fact that all of our commitments are going to require self-sacrifice. And we won't get around that. When you commit to others, you commit to something, it will always require you denying yourself in some degree. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in significant ways. We're not going to get around that. And a lot of times, the reasons why we end up breaking our commitments is because we just refuse to be selfless in those moments. A self-centered life will always lead you to break your commitments to people, eventually. It always happens. And you know, we live in a world where there are so many commitments, it's just so, so easy to break them. You know, you don't, you, don't like, you don't like living in your apartment, you break your lease. You don't like the class you're taking, just drop it. Right? You, don't like who, you don't like who your friends are, get new friends. You don't like what somebody said about it on Facebook? Defriend them. It's just so easy. And I'm not saying Facebook commitments are the same thing as like other commitments, but, but that mindset becomes so easy. Whereas like as, as, soon as, as soon as somebody does something we don't like, or as soon as, as the circumstances are different than we thought they would be, uh, if it's not what we like and how we feel at the moment, and this and this and this, the mindset becomes, it's, it's just as easy to break significant commitments as it is to like drop somebody off, off of Facebook or something like that. And see, our commitments that we make to God and to people are going to require something of us. It's going to require putting other people's needs ahead of our own every time. And so sometimes our commitment issues, we're trying to get down to figure out what's at the root of this, what's causing the problem it's the fact that we just love ourselves more than we love those we've committed to. Um, so there will be a tremendous amount of value. Uh, you, you will have to be absolutely selfless in your commitments. The third thing um, is that you must, you must be steady. There just has to be a steadiness and a steadfast way 
with which you live your life, when you're committed to someone, something, and to Jesus, it just, it just, it's just there. Um, this is, you know, maybe reaching just a little bit. But if you look at verse 19, it says, The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Now, I've done a little bit of reading. Nobody's really 100% sure what that means. The town was stirred up, you know. Most people think it means that Naomi comes back, no husband, no kids. And they're like, well, what's, what's going on? And so if that's, if that's what's going on, put yourself in, in Ruth's position. She's walking in. Everybody's like, what's going on? What's going on? And who is that? Who's this foreigner that you've brought in to our midst? You've been gone for 10 years. We don't know this girl. She's a Moabite. Oh, they're, they're our enemies. So you're bringing one of our enemies into, into Bethlehem? What, what, what's that mean? You back up in the story a little bit more. When they're, when they're in, uh, in the Moabite region and, and, and Naomi's saying, like, y'all stay, I'm going to go. For Ruth to stay with Naomi and to venture back, they were going back because they heard through the grapevine that it had rained in Bethlehem and that there was food now. So she leaves a region where there is food, definitely, and goes on a journey that may or may not like end with the same situation that, that, that Naomi left in the first place. So it's a complete risk in a tangible sense. And then she walks into this, had to be this emotionally super weird situation. Nobody knows who you are and this and this and this. It just had to be so weird. But, but Ruth was steady in her commitment. And we'll see this as we go through the rest of the story. Like She, she wasn't half-hearted in what she told her. It wasn't just a really, really eloquent speech that people will, for hundreds and hundreds of years, continue to repeat that she meant what she said. And so the fear and the uncertainty of famine or the journey and what's going to await them, that that didn't deter her. She was steady. She was steadfast in her willingness to stay committed. When they walk into the town and everybody's all stirred up and they're probably asking all these questions and stuff like that, she, she stayed the course. As the story plays out, it gets, it gets weirder and weirder as it goes, and she just maintains her commitment because there's a steadiness that's there. It comes, from, it comes from value. When you combine that value with a selfless person, that steadfastness that comes in basically is coming down to the fact that whenever the emotions change or the circumstances change, you're steady in your commitment to what you said you're going to do. And for many of us, that's, that's the kicker right there. That's the hard part. So we, we make these commitments because it, it feels right and you're all excited about it and you're all happy. And then there comes like this point of tension where the circumstances change or emotionally you're in a different place or you're a little bit older or you know, this has changed and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the commitment that you made is still there. And so you have to be steady enough to not waver just because things look different or feel different or sound different or aren't the way you thought they were going to be. And when there's true commitment, there's a steadiness that exists. But you won't be steady if you're self-centered and if you don't value 
what you, those that you made the commitment to. So in true commitment, there will be a tremendous amount of value. There will be an absence of, self, of self-centeredness. And there will be a steadiness that navigates through just the fact that just life takes a lot of weird turns. So, press those three together and then start to think about those commitments of, of your own, not other people's, but your own, that are kind of falling short a little bit. And you ask the Spirit, just say, okay, so what's the deal? Why am I so half-hearted in my commitment? Is it, a val- is it a value issue? Do I not value the church? Do I not, do I not value my neighbors? Do I not value uh, widows and orphans? Or is it a, it is, is it a, a selflessness issue? Do you value, you value your coworkers until it starts to cost you something and then, then you're out, you know? Do you love your spouse to a, to a point until it starts to cost you something and then you just kind of love yourself a little bit more? Do you, do you love your kids until it comes time to like parent them in a way that you're unsure how to do or they might not like you and think that you're awesome? And so you just kind of choose yourself over, over what's best for them in those moments, and those commitments fall short, you know? Or are you just so tossed around by how you're feeling that day? What's trendy in your mind at that point? Your emotions, your circumstances, are you just, is it just a steadiness issue where you're just like, I'm just tossed around constantly? Well, when it comes to the relational commitments you've made to people in your life, it's, it's too important to just be like, oh, well, I just... One day I'll get better at that. It's, it's too important. You know, it's, it's not a game. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But more important than that, we're talking about people's souls. You know, we're, talking about, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about the glory of, of Jesus in, in our lives. We're, we're talking about things that are just too important to say, well, I, I'm just kind of going through a weird time with that. When the opportunity to pursue that and to pray through that and say, God, why, why are my commitments coming up short to the things that I know, I know I'm, suppo- I'm supposed to invest my life in and I have invested my life in? What's the, what's the hesitation? Maybe it's in those, one of those three areas. Maybe it's something else. Maybe, you know, whatever. But if you're not asking the Spirit to show you, then chances are you're going to keep treading water and those commitments are going to keep coming up short. And it's just the way that you're going to live. Not abundantly. But all that really goes back to that greatest commitment that you've made, which is to Jesus himself. Can, there, can it be a value issue in your relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, I think we do struggle to value him. I think until we're on the new earth, we probably won't really be able to wrap our minds around that value, but until then, a lot, of, a lot of the problem with us 
not being fully committed to him is, it comes down to that. Or, very much related to it, is that self-centeredness. You know, like we, we love Jesus being our Savior, and we want to sing about rescue and the cross, and we want to sing about all that kind of stuff. When it comes to lordship, like we talked about the, the, that pyramid deal and letting, like, letting him make decisions, and when it comes to abiding and, and his power empowering all of our efforts, and talk comes to like ministry to people and putting us in, in like situations that maybe we aren't comfortable with all the time. When it comes to living a disciplined life that's not lazy and all those kinds of things, we're like, hold on, I love the Savior part, but the Lord part, I don't know. And in that moment, it's a, it's a, a self-centered issue of saying, I'm going to put me ahead of you. You save me, I'll take care of the Lord part. See you, you know, see you in heaven. Or maybe it's just a steadiness thing where you're in this room or you're in your community group or you're at like wherever you live and you're in the Word and like those times are just phenomenal. But then there are other days when things go bad at work or you get in a fight with one of your friends or something, you know, something just sends you over the top and you're just, you're just constantly up and down, up and down, up and down. And with, with that rise and fall come your commitments to Jesus himself. Uh, I don't well. Maybe that's part of the application for you. But for most of us, you take all three of those and just make a gumbo out of them, and it's kind of a little bit of all of them. You mix it all together because they all affect each other. When they're all present, it goes back to what we see here. Let me, re- let me read, what, again, what Ruth said. Verse 16 She said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. If anything but death parts me from you. That kind of commitment... um, I believe is what is the way we want to live with one another and with the Lord. We want to be able to say those things, sing those things, and mean them a hundred percent. If you feel like you're falling short, I I just want to challenge you and and push you forward in like not resting in that, not being lazy in that, but let Him lead you and guide you gently out of it, because you don't have to live that way. You don't have to remain half-hearted in any of those commitments. Uh, he'll lead you forward. And so, as usual, the ball is in your court, in my court, to see what we're going to do with this truth. I, I pray that we're faithful uh, to pursue it. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we... Um, we love you, and we're grateful that you loved us first. You know our desire is, uh, is not to be half-hearted in our devotion to one another, in the, the specific commitments that we've made in our lives, and the general things that come with being with you. Um, and, and we don't want to be half-hearted with you either. I mean, that's not our desire. 
So I just I ask, Lord, that you would guide each of us forward. That you would make us just very restless. That we wouldn't just settle back and just be okay with, with very mediocre um, devotions. But that we would pursue the, the depths of what it means to be, to be yours, to be saints, to be your children, and to be in covenant with you and to be in covenant with one another. Pray that you'd help us to be responsible with whatever it is that you are stirring in us and 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 just that that restlessness would um, would really would just keep us up at night so to speak and we would take all these things seriously we love you so much and we pray this all in your good name amen now we're gonna we're gonna do two songs here in just a second um and they're they're on purpose uh, we don't ever do songs randomly but uh Thing about the about commitments and our commitment to Jesus is that Jesus has made a commitment to us first. Like we love because he loved us first. We commit to one another and to him because he committed to us first. So much so that he took the analogy of a of a husband and a wife. And said that's that's me and that's y'all together. That he has devoted himself. That much like Ruth said to Naomi, he's also said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That he right now is praying for you and for me and for us collectively. That he lives to intercede for us. That he's gone to prepare a place for us. That he will come back for us. We will live with him forever. We will reign with him on the earth forever. Um, he's committed to you. He's committed to us. And so all of our commitments really f- flow out of that commitment. He has initiated something toward us. And that flows through us into others. And then flows through us right back to him. And so really he started all of this. And so we're going to do two songs. The first song is kind of about his commitment, his faithfulness, his steadiness. And the second one is kind of our response uh, back together. So uh, y'all stand up. You ready to sing? Let's do it.